Walking distance is supported by Gossamer Gear. So there I was at Kit Lake on Avalanche Divide in the Grand Tetons. The wind was up and my Gossamer Gear trekking pole tent, The One, barely moved. At only 17 ounces, The One is bomb-proof with loads of room inside to sit up, store your gear, and stay dry and safe from the bugs. And Gossamer Gear Gorilla 50-liter ultralight backpack is roomy and organized enough for all I need, plus a week's worth of food. From trekking poles to hiking umbrellas, tents and backpacks, Gossamer Gear is some of the highest quality lightweight gear out there. And as a listener of Walking Distance, you can score 15% off your next order at gossamergear.com. Just use the code WALKINGDISTANCE. Gossamer Gear. Take less. Do more. You know, you don't always expect that when you're back at home in the city. Let's say you got lost looking for a building. You know, somebody on the street's not going to be like, oh, hey, you don't look like you're having a great day. But hikers are like, let me walk you to where you need to go. Let me go with you. Do you feel confident and comfortable after you've done this? No? Let me keep going with you. This is Walking Distance, a show for hikers, trekkers, trampers, wanderers, and bog trotters that proves any place worth seeing can be reached by walking there, and that it's even better when you carry all you need in a backpack. I'm Allison Young, better known as Blissful Hiker. There's something magical that can happen on trail. We're seen in ways in which in our normal lives, we might be ignored or misunderstood. Strangers help us and become friends. And as the beauty of nature is revealed to us and the challenges push us to our limits, we come to know ourselves more intimately than we ever could at home. And yet, as a single person in a single moment moving along a vast landscape, we also disappear and our ambitions, if not achieved in some spectacular form, are invisible to the larger world. Tamara Neblet hemela is a 28-year-old long-distance backpacker from St. Paul, Minnesota. She's Black, Latina, and a Muslim. She was quite visible on the Continental Divide Trail this past hiking season, practicing her faith by wearing a sport hajib on trail. Because she was the only visible Muslim in her hiking bubble, she was definitely uncommon. And yet her story has a common universal ring to it even if it started with a shakedown hike in the dead of winter. It was just a weekend, but we went out on the SHT, the Superior Hiking Trail, um, with most of our regular backpacking gear and snowshoes um, strapped kind of haphazardly to our backpacks to begin with. Um, And then we got to a portion of trail that had seen apparently no foot traffic. So we strapped on those snowshoes and plowed as far as we could. And ended up camping really uh, right near a lake. We could have camped on the lake because it was so well frozen. Um, But we camped right near it, packed down all the snow, pitched our tent. Instead of using stakes, we grabbed like a couple of sticks and buried them in the snow and packed them down to get the tent to stay upright. Yeah, you are like super hardcore. I mean, I've been out in the winter, but I've had like a stove inside a canvas tent. Yeah, Uh, my husband does a lot of like uh, hot winter camping in a hot tent, but we wanted to test out our winter gear and make sure that I could do things cold camping since there is no way that I would be carrying a, a stove in the on the CDT. 
Right. And you would get snow. Now, you've mentioned your husband, Eli, and actually you and I met through him because he bought my used tarp tent, um, which he actually told me that I guess his mom is using now. And we were just chit-chatting and he said, oh, yeah, my wife is hiking the CDT alone. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, wait a minute. I thought my husband was the only one who, you know, <laughs> told his wife to leave for five months and go on a backpack trip. I mean, how did how does this whole thing work in this relationship? And, and why did you go alone? I went alone because of a couple of reasons. We got married in 2020, just before the world shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at the end of that year, we were planning to move originally to wherever we could think of. But we were putting that decision off until after the wedding so that we could have more mental space to think about it. Moving then became a really bad idea. Mm. Um, Eli's an electrician. And so he had a really steady job on light rail at the moment. I was working really steady as a pharmacy tech for a local hospital. And so we're like, okay, let's just stay. But I was restless. So I was like, I need something new. He's like, well, go do something you want to do. And so I picked the CDT and he was like, cool, I'll stay here. So he stayed home. He came out with me for a week, which was really fantastic and a really nice way to like ease into solo hiking (laughs) for a long time. (laughs) He was the one who was in charge of like mailing my resupply boxes and he really enjoys the planning part of it. So it was nice to have (laughs) what I felt like James Bond and he was my cue back home. Um, with all the info and the gadgets. So it works out well. I mean, I definitely have a relationship like that with Richard as well. Did you take um, like a Garmin inReach and he followed your every step kind of thing? Oh, yeah. Um, He told me when I would get into towns, he's like, oh, man, I've been telling everybody at work about where you are and showing them your little dot on the map. And everybody's so impressed. So, yeah, he was really good about following it and even keeping in contact with both of our parents to be like, here's where she is. Right. Um, Giving them updates. I mean, it's kind of like you're talking every day. That's what I've mm-hmm. told people is, you know, we're in contact every day at least. Yeah. But but it is lonely to be out there alone. And you do know that the CDT is like the hardest of the three big trails in the U.S. So you picked like the hardest to start. And why mm-hmm. was that? Um, it was a go big or go home sort of attitude. The AT wasn't really an option um, because it was not open. Also, with COVID, I just didn't want to be around that many people. Mm-hmm. Um the PCT was an option, but I was like, I didn't really have any strong feelings about it. And I really wanted to do, if I was just going to do one of the big long trails in the States, this is the one that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I know it's the hardest. Even if I only do one, this is the one that I want to have done. She's got to check it off her list. Mm-hmm. So do you have a trail name? I do. I am Master Chef. <laughs> How did you get that name? <laughs> it's a funny story. I was at the Toaster House in Pie Town. And the guy that runs it was had taken out a whole bunch of chicken, like three big, almost Sam's Club size family packs of chicken and was like, I think it would be a good idea to cook these. So I said, okay, I'll cook them. And so on this little tiny two burner electric stove plug in, I cooked like 35 pieces of chicken. I made rice. I made vegetables for everybody that was staying at the toaster house that night, which was almost like 30 hikers. What? Um, And yeah, so I stood by the stove for, I want to say, at least three and a half hours cooking for people. Everybody in that was just like worshipped the ground that I walked on after that. Um, One guy was like, we're going to call you queen. And I said, no, we're not. (laughs) And somebody else was like, master chef then. And I was like, I'll take that. That'll work. 
Yeah. Yeah. We should just mention that Pie Town is how far into the trail? It's in New Mexico. How far in is it? it? Um, it would, I'd say it's like either two or three weeks in. So it's significant. And people are getting hiker hunger at this point. Yes. So do you make your own food for the hiking portion of it? Did you make your own food before you went? I did. I did a lot of dehydrating and a lot of meal prep for myself um, because a lot of those like mountain house and pre-prepared meals are too large for me. Mm. Um, I just won't finish them. And then, oh, man, I've got to carry this wet food with me for the rest of the way. (laughs) Um, And it's just heavy. So I made things that were manageable portions for me to consume and then still calorie dense and, and high in protein and stuff like that. You are smart. I did see something on your Facebook page, a tuna hot dish that oh, is so, yeah. so Minnesota. <laughs> yes, I had to bring a little bit of home with me. <laughs> What's in it? It is so like those little foil packs of tuna, uh, half of a pasta side. I think it was an Alfredo pasta side. I used freeze dried cheese powder, butter powder, heavy cream powder, and a cheese stick and then a little <laughs> extra garlic in there. But yeah. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. It sounds mm-hmm. like you're getting all your calories for sure. Oh, yeah. There was there was no shortage. <laughs> so Tamara, you are black. Do I have this correct that you're also Latina mm-hmm. and That's Muslim? Mm-hmm. So yeah. did you meet many people that looked like you on trail? No. <laughs> no, I hiked for a time with one black hiker um, named David, a.k.a. S.O.S., he was really cool. Um, I actually met him very first day. We rode together down to the trailhead. But other than that, I didn't see very many Black women at all. I didn't meet anybody who identified as Latino or Hispanic and saw no visible Muslims on trail. Um, hmm. So no women in hijab, no men who might have been wearing a kufi or anything like that. So you did wear a hijab, a sport hijab. And I mean, I'm really curious about that. Who who makes it? Um, There are a number of different companies that make sports hijabs, but the one that I had was from Adidas. Adidas. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think they're becoming more common. There's like Nike, Under Armour, Mm -hmm. there's others. Oh, yeah. There there are lots of others. Um, And a lot of like Muslim-owned companies do them as well. Um, I picked the Adidas one because it was light colored. The one from Nike, I think they only make a black one, which oh. was just not going to work for me in the heat of New Mexico. So, I mean, just for those of us who, I mean, I've certainly seen women in hijab, but I don't exactly know what its purpose is as part of the Muslim faith. Yeah, it is a couple of things. It's a really big, obvious, almost billboard that says, hey, I'm Muslim. But it is also there to protect the modesty of the wearer. And it's important to note that in Islam, hijab is not just that fabric or scarf that you wear around your head. It is an attitude. It is the way that you are supposed to carry yourself and cover yourself. Men have a specific type of hijab that they're supposed to maintain. And women have a hijab that they're supposed to maintain. So it just looks different for people. That's interesting that you say men have a hijab. So the hijab is not referring to the actual garment that you wear, but more this attitude that you refer to. Right. Most of the time when people ref- are talking colloquially about hijab, they mean the scarf or the co- the head covering. But it really is just the modesty that one is supposed to maintain. So what does it look like? And, and how does it fit on your head? How did it feel? Um, it was really lightweight. I would say it's made out of a similar um, fabric as like that stretchy sunblock material basically just like a a sport uh, fabric. It's moisture wicking. 
it had a really nice, not warm fuzzy, but kind of like brushed elastic that went around my face. Pretty fitted around my head, not tight, but just fitted around there. And it was pretty short. It only came to maybe six inches below my chin and then mm-hmm. an equivalent length in the back. Mm-hmm. And so what else so, did you wear? It doesn't it doesn't protect your eyes. You had to have a hat as no. well. Yeah, I, I carried a, a wide brim hat as well. Um, and then as far as other coverings go, I had pants and then leggings. When I had leggings, I also wore a hiking skirt for the sake of pockets and extra modesty. And then a long sleeve um, sun protective shirt that had a hood just for extra protection if I felt like I needed it. And warmth because, you know, never hurt to have a hood. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there are some misconceptions about Muslim women being athletic. I've watched uh, some of the videos from this Muslim influencer that lives in Houston, um, Alam Muhammad, I think I'm saying her name correctly. And she's lifting weights. Now, she's fully covered um, not just in haji, but in a niqab, which is like, so you only see her eyes. And I guess yeah. you only see her hands, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and she speaks about, you know, pleasing God and also doing something really important for your body. I mean, did you find in your faith that there's any kind of uh, like resistance to being athletic or being out there as a hiker, especially alone? Right. I personally did not. I didn't grow up in a Muslim family, so I don't have a lot of like culturally Muslim, what feels like culturally Muslim restrictions or things that I felt like hijabis couldn't do because, oh, you have to be covered and you have to be modest and you can't do these things. When I worked in a high school, I met a lot of young Muslim women who were really active, who were in track and field. And one young lady was doing shot put and really Mm. killing it out there. Um, And they were runners and they were tennis players and they did everything that they wanted to do. And they're like, you know, sometimes what you, how you do it looks different. One young lady played basketball. And so instead of wearing like the sports hijab that went all the way around her face, she had one that was more like a cap. Um, mm-hmm. Still really secure. Um, she also wore a turtleneck, like a really um, lightweight turtleneck underneath her jersey. And then leggings underneath her like regulation shorts or whatever. You can do anything. You just might have to find a slightly different way to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's what I've taken from Islam. Right. What were your reactions from people you met, other hikers? I mean, you mentioned earlier about how you, you didn't see anyone visibly Muslim as you were. And so you're definitely making a statement about your faith and about who you are. Yeah. Um, I didn't really have a whole lot of reaction from other hikers. We... Would I'd occasionally have conversations with people about what is Islam. Like when I would stop um, a couple of times a day to pray, I, I would hike in like sections of five miles, five miles, take a break, five miles, take a break, five miles, take a break. And so I, it was nice to line those breaks up with my prayers. And so people would ask like, hey, why do you take a break at this certain time? Like we're almost at such and such a place. Like why do you feel the need to take a break here? And so I would have conversations with people about the things that, we do as Muslims in Islam, but it wasn't like a big part of my hike. Um, I remember being at the Mogollon cliff dwellings and some ladies were like, oh man, you were really nice and covered for the sun. I'm like, thanks. It's not just the sun. I do this for (laughs) my religion. And they're like, oh, and so they wanted to talk a little bit about it. They also wanted to find out where I got my sports hijab because they're like, I would really like that for sun cover. And I'm like, good idea. You'll definitely have a funny tan line. (laughs) 
Um, I would take it off in, in hotels and the middle of my face was really nice and brown, but my ears and my neck were pale as they were when I started. Um, so that was that was really funny. You talk about taking these um, five mile stints, taking a break, five miles. Mm-hmm. Did you bring any kind of prayer rug or were you like really intentional about how you, you know, faced Mecca kind of thing? I didn't carry a prayer rug. They make travel prayer rugs, but I didn't really care that much. Mm-hmm. Um, in the backpack I carried, there is a like a sit pad that you can pull out of the back area. Um, and so I just used that when I put my face on the ground. Um, so I put my face on that instead of in the rocks. But otherwise, the direction was really important. And you spend enough time outside, you get real familiar with which way is east. Um, <laughs> and so that made it really easy. Yeah. And I'm really curious about like how it felt to pray intentionally when you're in this incredible wilderness all the time. You're pretty much outdoors all the time unless you're taking a break in town. I mean, did you find your prayer infused with just kind of a closer sense to God or, I don't know, just more intense for you? Yeah, I felt like... So when you pray, you say the Fatiha in the beginning, which is the first chapter of the Quran. It's seven verses. And then you're free to say another surah or section of a surah, which are the chapters. And so there is one surah whose name I cannot remember right this moment, but it asks you, which of these wonders of your Lord are you going to deny? And that was really, really powerful when you're outside, when you're on top of a mountain, when you're next to this incredible river, when you're having a bad day, (laughs) there are still things to be in awe of. I just felt like all of those prayers said outside had a different flavor than the ones that I say inside in my warm temperature controlled home on my nice cushy mat. They hit different, if you will. Yeah. I mean, I know that when I'm going hiking and when I walk for a long time, I mean, especially if it's something like a long distance trail where it's week after week, I do feel closer to, you know, to my God, my goddess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I'm in conversation. But I kind of feel it all the time. I don't, I don't take the moment right. to pray, but it's like, well, because I hike a lot alone, you know, you're talking to yourself mm-hmm. and then you start having this conversation with the spirit. It's like the whole hike, you set out to do it for whatever reason, but it felt like after a while that it was just, it was just a conversation. Like each step was a word, each breath was a thought. It was all very intentional and the whole of it just was, was different than I expected it to be in a good way. We'll be right back. Walking Distance is supported by Garage Grown Gear, your one-stop online shop for ultralight gear from over a hundred small startup and cottage outdoor brands. Everything from quilts and packs to accessories and meals from makers including Catabatic, Lone Star Ultralight, Bear Vault, Enlightened Equipment, Nomad Nutrition, Six Moon Designs, Goosefeet Gear, and one of my faves, Kula Cloth. They offer free shipping for orders over $20. And here's a really cool deal. First-time customers get 10% off using the code DISTANCE10. That's 10% off your first order using the code DISTANCE10. Support the little dudes, shop intentionally, and get 10% off at garagegrowngear.com. So I want to go back to 
the hike itself and have you share mm-hmm. some of your favorite sections. I mean, after I met Eli, I started following you because I started the CDT mm-hmm. so much later. So I was really curious about yeah. New Mexico. And your pictures of flowers are just unreal. Like they look like plastic. They can't, these can't be living things. Um, You know, you were so present in each moment in New Mexico. Can you maybe share some of your favorite moments? Well, a lot of people talk crap about New Mexico on the CDT. They make it seem like, oh, you're going to do the CDT, but you just have to get through New Mexico Mm. and then it's incredible, right? I did not feel like that at all. From the beginning, from the boot heel, it was astounding. You end up walking through big flat deserts and scrub brush, and then you'll come to a wash. And it is deep and carved away from the rest of the soil. And down in the bottom, it's sandy or really even rocks. And then you'll see small flowers growing there. Or you'll see a tree that has come out of nowhere. There's no other trees. There's just one tree, and it's giant. Hmm. Um And it was astounding. And then you go further north and you get to the Gila. Unfortunately, there was a drought. Fortunately for me, that meant that the water was low enough and not super dangerous. Mm. Um, Most of our crossings were like knee depth or lower. And sometimes it was fun to just walk in and go, oh, hello, river. (laughs) And then look up and see all these beautiful bluffs. And then you get further north and you get into elevation changes and mesas. And the whole state of New Mexico was beautiful and astounding. And I don't know that I could pick a favorite part. (laughs) I love the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, you mentioned the Gila River. And I think this is the place where you met a guy that I also met on the PCT named Crazy Eyes. Yes. um, Who offered you this kind of trail magic that really only happens from one hiker to another. Yeah. Yeah. That it was at the beginning of the alternate before we actually got to the Gila. I had gotten lost. I had spent most of my day um, following cairns, but those cairns stopped. And then there were just boot tracks and shoe tracks all over the top of this mountain. Mm. And I had gotten turned around and tried it again and tried to scramble up the side of the mountain. And I was like, I am not doing well. Um, So I went back to where the cairns were because I'm like, eventually somebody will either come up here or I can go back. And crazy eyes and full pantry showed up. And I told him, you know, like, be careful. I got lost. He's like, hey, well, just just come with us. We've got maps. We'll wait for the rest of the group that he was walking with. And he's like, we'll we'll get through it together. Um, Mm. And that was so wonderful and so satisfying because I had been yelling at that mountain (laughs) and crying on top of it and around it. And it was just sick. Right. I just love that story because there is just such a kindness that can happen with hikers to one one hiker to another, probably because we can relate to it. You know, you don't always expect that when you're back at home in the city. Let's say you got lost looking for a building. You know, somebody on the street's not going to be like, oh, hey, you don't look like you're having a great day. Let me walk you to where you need Hmm. to go. But hikers are like, let me walk you to where you need to go. Let me go with you. Do you feel confident and comfortable after you've done this? No? Let me keep going with you. And that's how I ended up hiking with David through the Gila. He was like, I heard about yesterday. Do you want to hike together? And so that was really restoring to my confidence and my feeling like I could find my own way. 
Right. And then you know that in the future you can offer that kind of kindness to someone else, exactly. too. There's it, it sort of pays forward. Mm-hmm. You have some really dramatic pictures from Mount Taylor, too. And I know that you're a Minnesota girl and you love snow, yeah. but that looked dangerous. It was spooky. <laughs> I anticipated rain because I could see the overcast coming. Um, I did not anticipate snow and nearly whiteout conditions and how cold it was going to be um, going up the beginning part of it. Some flakes, I was like, cute, snow. <laughs> um, but the further up you got, the harder the wind got. And it went from going straight down to going sideways. And that was another day of crying and yelling at the mountain. And getting to the top just to sign the register in the worst handwriting I had because my hands were so cold. <laughs> But yeah, that was that was a day by myself. And then I met people later who were like, oh, yeah, I went up that day. It wasn't bad. I was like, did I just go up (laughs) too soon? Should I have just waited? That was another confident day after it was over. (laughs) When you got to Colorado, I mean, everything really changes once you make that pass into Colorado. And you write that Colorado has thus far been a trail. It's been rainy. It's been cold. And all of that has made me tired. Um, Mm -hmm. things are starting to get really heavy now. And I know that um, you ended up stopping the trail, I think after about 1,200 miles. I mean, you'd gone a long Mm -hmm. distance. What happened and really what was the final straw for you? So I I heard this from a number of hikers. Don't quit on a bad day. You're going to have bad days on trail. I had them before I got to Colorado. And usually if you just go up for two more days, that bad day won't seem so bad. But I had gotten into Colorado and I didn't take the red line through the San Juans because I was on my own and I hadn't seen any other hikers to kind of match up with and hike with. So I don't have that sort of mountain experience to feel confident to do it on my own. Can you talk about what the red line is? What does that mean? Yeah. So the red line is the main line for the CDT. The alternates end up being different colors on the Gut Hooks app, which I think is now Far Out Guides. Mm-hmm. And it follows the Conejo River, which was beautiful. But yeah, so I got to Colorado and decided against going on that red line. Um, I followed the green line, which was a good bit of road walking, um, paved road and then forest service road, which in Colorado are quite nice. But I started out and the mosquitoes were really bad. <laughs> they were oh, really, really bad. And I'm a, I'm a Minnesota girl. We mosquitoes may as well be our state bird. Um, so I'm I'm used to having trouble with mosquitoes. I was not prepared for these giant mosquitoes in Colorado. Um, they hurt when they bit. Um, they would like ride on my legs until I stopped. Um, if I was sitting, I had to consistently fan. So I was like, okay, fine. I'm angry at mosquitoes. They hurt. They didn't just leave little like dots of itchy. They Those itchy spots turned purple. Um, so I have to interrupt you here for just a second. You're completely covered with clothing and they still bit right through your clothes. Yes. Yes, they did. And did you not yeah. use permethrin then? I hadn't because I was told that the mosquitoes in Colorado were not an issue. And I believed it. And then I was like, mm, note to self, permethrin treat everything anyway. Right. Um, and then, of course, when I got to town, I was like, oh, I'll just get some bug spray. Everybody was out of bug spray. Oh, God. It was no. sold out everywhere I went. <laughs> every dollar store, every gas station, every grocery store was out of bug spray. And so I was like, okay, fine. We'll suffer through this. A couple of bad days here or there, no big deal. 
But my final straw was I was up at 11,000 feet and sun was going down and I was walking through clouds. Little Misty had been a little upset the day before, but that's okay. The mist turned into raindrops and those raindrops were cold Mm. and the temperature kept dropping and I had a little um, a little thermometer slash compass on my backpack and I checked and we were down to like 35 degrees. So I was and it started to pour. So I had all my rain gear on. I was trying to hustle as quickly as I could to get to this little storm shelter that I knew was up ahead, which is where I planned to stop anyway. And I am just soaked through. I get to the storm shelter and somebody's sleeping in it. So I was frustrated and I'm like, okay, fine. Oh, and it's just for one single person. (laughs) Yep. I mean, if you're just sitting in there, you could fit a number of people. But this person was sleeping and had all their gear laid out and there was no way another human. And you're soaking wet. Yeah. Right. And so I have to set up my tent in this cold, cold rain and try and take off all of my stuff strategically um, so that everything is not soaked. And that was just that was just a bad day that I couldn't shake. So I was going to meet my uncle at Monarch Pass and he brought me back to his house. And then I went back to trail because I was meeting um, Eli at the next pass. And I got to that pass and it was cool. It was cool. There were some hard days. There were a lot of, I think there were like five passes over 12,000. I fell and bent one of my poles in a snow field. And I was wondering how, how many days in a row do you have to keep going after you've had a bad day? What if it's a bad week? What if this is just now a bad hike? And so when my husband picked me up, I was super excited to see him. We went back to Colorado Springs, hung out with my uncle some more. And then on the drive back to that pass, I cried the entire two-hour drive. Oh. I cried. I sobbed. I just wept quiet tears. Um, But we got to the top and I was like, I cannot go back out there. I cannot do it alone anymore. And so in the interest of of abating suffering, um, I went home. You know, you wrote that you felt like you let people down. Um, You let down Muslim girls and black girls and Latinx girls and BIPOC Mm -hmm. humans of all ages. You also write, I thought by not completing the 3,100 miles, I had failed all of them. And more than that, I had failed myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's so that's so hard to read right now. But but you go on to talk about this being the best decision. And I think I think a lot of us who've hiked trails, I mean, myself included, I had to give up the CDT myself. There's there's this moment where we can't bear to let go, but you did, and for like kind of a really specific reason to take care of yourself. Right, right. And that's actually something my dad said. Um, I don't know why I was worried that my parents would be disappointed. They were astounded that I wanted to go do this alone and shocked and surprised that they're their city girl daughter, their <laughs> only outdoor experience was Girl Scout camping trips in cabins and yurts, um, that she was going out by herself for months on a time. Um, I was amazed that they would, I thought they were going to be disappointed in me. Um, but my dad said, he's like, you, I'm impressed with anything that you did. I'm amazed. He's like, 1,200 miles is incredible. That's crazy. Some people will never even consider walking a hundred miles but the most important thing that you could do is take care of you the trail will be there we only get one you 
if you were talking to one of those young Muslim girls or BIPOC human of all ages, I mean, what would you tell them if they'd come off the trail like your dad did? Would you would you say the same words or is there another piece of wisdom you might add to it that you would say to someone else? I would tell them that taking care of themselves is more important than anything, that those miles are cool, that you can go back and do them if you feel like it, but you don't have to. I've been a little bit of a perfectionist for most of my life, but I had a teacher who said that done is better than perfect. Hmm. You know, get it done. 3,100 miles is quote-unquote perfect, but you did what you could do. My dad says often, do your best and your best is good enough. So to all those people, your best is good enough. Your five miles, your hundred miles, your 2,000 miles, your 3,100 miles, your best is good enough. But then the logical question after this is, do you have some unfinished business? Are you going to go back? I will consider it. (laughs) I don't think that I will go back and do it alone. Um, I think the loneliness was a big part of why I could not continue. But I'll think about it. I'll think about it. I might consider maybe maybe two and a half months is too much for me. I could do a month on my own. So maybe I'll just finish it a month at a time. Right. Or maybe Eli will go. Yeah. That would be amazing. That would be really fun. We do outdoor adventure very well together. Well, congratulations on what you did finish of the CDT. That is super impressive. And I'm so glad we had this chat today, Tamara. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you, Allison, for having me. It's it's good to have a place to tell a story. Tamara Neblet hemela is a Black, Latina, Muslim backpacker from St. Paul, Minnesota. She walked 1,200 miles of the CDT before taking a break and returning to civilian life. Now, many of us veteran long-distance hikers might say, okay, she didn't finish the 3,100 miles of the CDT, but 1,200 is a monumental achievement. And what she learned about herself, what she saw, and how she brought her faith right to the thru-hike was life-changing. And I think for a lot of us, an inspiration. I'd love to know what you do or you bring on trail that keeps you tied to your faith. Is it difficult to marry both your spiritual and physical side? Have you quit trail? And what did you learn from the experience? This is all really important to me because last summer I had to quit the CDT for health reasons. So I'd really like to talk to you about it if you want to share. Reach me directly at my personal email, hikerallison at gmail.com. Allison is spelled with one L, hikerallison at gmail.com. A few weeks ago, I featured another amazing person who inspires, Cindy Ross, an author, trail angel, triple crowner, artist, speaker, and all-around superwoman. Many of you were deeply touched by her book, Walking Toward Peace, highlighting the journeys of veterans who found hope on the trail. Cindy and her husband, Todd Gladfelter, have given so much to the backpacking community, and now it's our turn to help them. Todd was involved in a tragic accident. He fell off the roof of his house and injured his spinal cord. And the road ahead for him is going to be very, very tough. We're all sending healing energy and prayers. But if you want to help them out in a meaningful way as they face mounting medical bills, I've put a link to Todd Gladfelter's GoFundMe site. It's in our show notes. 
In other news, Walking Distance has come to the end of Season 1. Yay! And we'll be taking a break before launching into Season 2. You can revisit past episodes, share with your friends, and let me know your favorite shows. Again, you can reach me at hikerallison at gmail.com. Our theme music was composed by Daniel Nass. Thanks so much to Zach Davis, Jackie Maruziak, and Tina Mullen. And thanks also to today's title sponsor, Gossamer Gear, manufacturers of high-quality, lightweight backpacking gear and accessories. You can save 15% on your next order at gossamergear.com. Use the code word walking distance. Just use walking distance, all one word, and save 15% off your order at gossamergear.com. I'm Blissful Hiker, and you've been listening to Walking Distance. Walking Distance.